All right, I want to welcome everybody to the master's class here at Life Change Church. Life Change Church. Ooh, that's quiet today, huh? Life Change Church. All right, let's see if we can get going here today. We are in the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. We're going to be talking about the rise and fall of Babylon. Rise and fall of Babylon. Now, last week, we talked about the generations of Noah and his sons and how they were commanded by God to replenish the earth after God's judgment of the floodwaters. And we also discussed the different paths for each of Noah's sons. You had Shem and Japheth and Ham, and Shem was of the godly line from which Abraham and David and ultimately Christ would come from. And then Japheth's descendants would settle around the Mediterranean and Europe and Asia, and we talked about the Romans, the Greeks, and others. And Ham's descendants were the ones that founded the Egyptian, the Ethiopian, and most notably the Canaanite civilization, which God cursed the Canaanites because of Ham's sin and their rejection of God through idol worship. Now, we spent the last half of the lesson talking about one of the most infamous grandsons of Ham, and his name was Nimrod. Now, Nimrod, we said, was Satan's mighty ruler. Now, God tells us that Nimrod began to be a mighty one in the earth. Now, the name Nimrod is derived from the word marad, meaning to rebel. Now, Nimrod wanted to become a ruler of a great world empire, and he attempted to do it. And he seems to have been the prime influence in the building of the city of Babel. Now, the historian and general Josephus, everybody know about Josephus? Everybody heard of Josephus? Josephus was a Jew. He was a general. He was a prophet. He was as well as a a historian. And, he, and I like to use him when I want, really want to get into the historical Israeli history and so forth. I, I really like to use his books. I think it's called The Antiquities uh, or something like that. Uh, but anyway, Josephus describes Nimrod when he says, and I think I put this in your uh, handout. Now, it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God. He was the grandson of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man, and a great strength of hand. He persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as if it was through his means they were happy, but to believe that it was their own courage which procured that happiness. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning men from their fear of God, but to bring them into a constant dependence on his power. Now, he also said that he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again. And for that, he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach, and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. That's quite a man, isn't it? That's quite a man. So scholars also believe that it was Nimrod's wife, Semiramis, that first introduced idolatry on the earth. Them women, they just get us into trouble all the time, don't they? <laughs> Shame on me. I shouldn't say something like that. Yeah, that's right. That we, and you get us out of trouble too, right? Yeah, absolutely. My wife definitely does that. I got to say something good, you know, uh, to get myself out of trouble uh, from saying the first, right? 
God tells us that Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord died. That is, Nimrod became a hero to the world. Now, he enabled men to break away from the shackles of true religion, which bound them to God. And he proclaimed a spirit of defiance. And the people of that day saw him as a hero that would rid them of the religious principles that were being taught by Shem. Now, that sounds very familiar to Cain, doesn't it? Right? Satan knows what works, and so he just uses it over and over again. In other words, man really didn't learn too much from the flood. Now, many translations use the word against in this sentence rather than before. And I said last week that meant uh, saying he was a mighty hunter against the Lord. Well, Nimrod was certainly against everything that related to God. Nimrod was not a hunter of animals. Rather, he was a hunter of souls. And it was in this vein of being a hunter of souls that we describe Nimrod as being a type or a picture of the coming Antichrist. Now, the Bible teaches that in the last days there is coming a great world dictator who is called the beast, the man of sin, the Antichrist. Now, just as there is a Christ, there will be an Antichrist. And just as Jesus is the Son of God, the Antichrist is the son of Satan. Now, one is Christ, who is the seed of the woman, and the other is the seed of the serpent. One is the Son of God, the other is the son of perdition. One is God's lamb, the other is the devil's beast. And one has a kingdom, which is the kingdom of God, and the other has a kingdom, which is the kingdom of evil, and one will rule over a city, which is the holy city, Jerusalem. And another will rule over a city, which is the hellish city, Babylon. So today, we are going to learn something about that mighty city called Babylon, which symbolically and cryptically and prophetically stands for the consummation and the distillation of all evil. And pay attention because the rise and the fall of Babylon is not something that just happened off uh, in the dark, musty past or something that's going to happen way off yonder in the future. It deals with the realities that we are facing every day. And we're going to find out something about the person and the work of the devil as we study here in Genesis chapter 10. And 11. So now I told you last week that there are three things I wanted you to see as we studied together about this wicked city of Babylon, which was both the cradle and the grave of all false religion and the devil's kingdom. And we covered the first of these three things in last week's lesson, and that was Nimrod, the rise of Satan's ruler at Babylon. If you want the full lesson on, on Nimrod and his rise, go back to the podcast from last week and listen to the lesson that's out there. Now, today we're going to talk about the rest of the story as we cover the rise of Babylon and the ruin of Babylon, that city of sin, Satan's civic masterpiece. So let's get started here this morning with the rise of Babylon. Now, when we uh, talk here about Babylon, we see this city-state of Babel beginning. 
And remember that Babel is the inception of the city of Babylon and the nation and the concept of Babylon that we shall see all through the Scriptures. And over and over again, we read about Babylon in the Scriptures. And beginning in, with Genesis chapter 10 and going all the way through Revelations chapter 18, over and over and over again, the Bible speaks of Babylon. Now again, what's the key to uh, Bible study? If the uh, Bible has that much to say about something, then we better listen to it, right? If it's going to repeat it over and over again throughout Scriptures, we better understand why God is repeating it. And then we had better listen to what God has to tell us about this city. So pay attention here today, and we're going to learn some things. So let's see something about the rise of Babylon. Let's talk about how it got started. Now remember the ruler, that evil person whose demented brain this foul thing was hatched, was a man called Nimrod, who was a type or a picture of the Antichrist that is to come later. So we start off in chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, and it says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Now remember, this is after the family of Noah has gotten off of the, uh, the ark, and God has told them to go forth and replenish the earth. And so now this is talking about a, uh, the, the people who were leaving that area and going, and they found this place, uh, a, a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. So let's just stop right here, and, and let me tell you the very first thing that these people did that was wrong was to disobey God. And we see that recorded in these first two verses. And you ask, well, how did they disobey God? They were going out into the earth and they were going to replenish the earth. Well, the answer is that they found this plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. That was not God's plan for them at all. God said that they were to spread out over all of the earth. They were to replenish the entire earth. And remember, this is after the world had been destroyed by the flood and now civilization was uh, growing up again. And God said to those who came out of the ark, I don't want you just to stay in one place now. I want you to repopulate the earth. I want you to spread out all over the earth. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and do what? Replenish the earth. Now God didn't want them to gather and conglomerate in one spot. And why not? Because God knew the danger of a one-world government. And that is exactly what the Antichrist wants to set up, and that's exactly where we are headed for today, a one-world government. You say, well, what's wrong with a one-world government? What's wrong with all the peoples of the world coming to the plain of Shinar and just dwelling there in a city-state? Well, what was wrong with that, Keith? Well, it was a centralization of power. Okay, well, what's wrong with a centralization of power? It is that wicked people cannot be given too much power. Have you ever heard the statement that power corrupts and total power corrupts totally, right? Well, that's exactly right. And, and when the Antichrist gets total power, he's going to have total corruption over the face of this earth. And that's exactly what Nimrod wanted in prophecy and in type. 
He wanted to totally subjugate the world. And so he said to these people, now, let's just gather here together and let's unify the world together. Now, let me tell you today, we have some humanists in our own government. And I've talked about this many times before, but do you know what a humanist is? I'm not talking about humanitarianism or loving mankind. There's nothing wrong with that. We ought to love this world because God loves this world. Some people confuse humanitarianism with humanism. Humanism is a godless religion. Actually, a better name for humanism is atheism. But they don't like that word because it doesn't sell well. And, and humanism sounds good. Atheism sounds bad. But we have a number of committed humanists in the world today. And let me tell you what these humanists believe real quick. They believe in a one-world government. And many of them are Americans. And some of them hold high offices in America. But they have a running romance with one-worldism and a one-world government, that is the centralization of power. Now let me tell you something. Our freedom is related to the size of government in reverse proportions. The greater the size of the government, the less freedom we have. And we need just enough government to keep us strong, enough government to keep us safe, but then we need the government to keep its hands out of our personal lives and business. I'm getting political here today. I understand. All right. So we are seeing today this growth of federalism and this growth of big government. And Big Brother seems to have his fingertips on everything, and the humanists love it. Now, a great example of this is the ideology of wokeism. Without question, the LGBTQ group would not be a force in our politics today without the support of government agencies at the federal, state, and local levels forcing it down everybody's throat. Now, a good indicator of the growth of our government is how many people work for the government. Now, Google tells me, and it's got to be right if Google says that it's right, right? Now, but Google tells me that in 1920, one out of every 100 people worked for the government. One out of 100 people. As of 20... All levels of government, okay? As of 2015... One out of six people work for the government. One out of six. That's right. I didn't believe it either when I saw that first number. But one out of six works for either the federal, the state, or the city government. One out of every six people. That means government is growing and growing and growing. And, with, and that stack was from 2015. Imagine what it is already today. I mean, just look at how the government's been growing in the last... Uh, eight, nine years here. Yeah. <laughs> so government is growing, and you see what they want to do is not only federalize our government to a greater extent, but they want to move our government into the society of world nations. We had a couple of presidents here not too long ago that talked about a one world and, and so forth, and wanting to move us into a one world. Now, what the Antichrist would really like to do is to have a great one-world government. And the humanists are playing right into his hands. A leading humanist recently said, a truly humanistic civilization must be a world 
civilization. Now, the humanists are one-worlders first and Americans second. And they call for general disarmament. Oh, my goodness, that's not a topic in these days, is it? That's not just your own armaments. This is general disarmament of all militaries in the world. That is, they want us to lay down our ability to defend ourselves because if all the people on the face of the earth, they say, would generally disarm, then we would have what they call a collective security. Oh yeah, that'd be collective security, wouldn't it? Yeah, that is when we're all just part of one great big one government. Then why there's nobody else to, to fight. That is, if you're all of the same government, uh, then why go fight anybody, right? And, and that is, of course, except the Antichrist when he comes, right? And he will then have the world in his grip because that's what he's going to have, is a one-world government. And that's exactly what old Nimrod wanted so long ago. Now, rather than spreading out all over the world and replenishing the earth, it says that they dwelt in the land of Shinar. And they just decided they were going to build a city-state right there. So you see in verses 1 and 2, their disobedience. So now let's move on to verses 3 and 4, and you're going to see their depravity. Verses 3 and 4 says, And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime they had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now, why do I call this their depravity? Well, it's centered in this tower that they wanted to build. They said, let us build us a tower whose top may reach under heaven. Now, just I slow down right there because you don't want to just read by some of this really important stuff, right? And let me tell you that these people were not trying to build a staircase to the stars, as some would have said, okay? They were not that stupid. You know, some people think that these must have been really dumb and ignorant people back in those days, and they just thought they could literally, with bricks, just build right on into heaven. And so they could just step off of this tower and be in heaven with God, right? No, that's not what they thought. They, they had better sense than that. You know, man has really not gotten that much more intelligent through the years. Don't think of these as a bunch of hokey cavemen back then. They were stunningly brilliant. It is amazing what they knew. They were not trying to build a staircase to the stars. They did not think they could pile brick upon brick until they could just step off into heaven. Now notice in verse 4 of the King James Version that there are certain words that are italicized, and I italicized them in your handout. It says, let us uh, build us a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Now, notice that the phrase may reach is italicized. Well, now what that means is that you can just leave it out, honestly. It's only there, uh, put there by the translators to make it read more smoothly. And it's not a part of the original text, and the reason they put it in italics is so that you will know that it's not part of the original text. And what they literally said was, let us build us a tower whose top unto heaven. That is, the top of this thing was dedicated to the heavens. 
what it was, was a temple tower. And on top of this thing was a pagan temple. And this pagan temple was dedicated unto the heavens. That is, it was an astrological observatory. Okay? And they were there, and from there they would observe the stars. And the archaeologists have gone back in the Mesopotamian area and upon the plain of Shinar, and, and they know that there are other temples that were uh, in that area that were for the same reason, and they know what they were because their tops had zodiacs on them. And, and you had the beginning of the worship of the stars or the study of the stars, and you had the beginning of the paganism and the idolatry and the devil worship of astrology right here. You have it beginning right here in these verses in chapter 10 and chapter 11 of the book of Genesis. That is the reason that I am talking about their depravity. Astrology began right here in chapter 11. And if you're a follower of astrology, you just buckle up your seatbelt because I'm going to pay my respects to it here in just a few minutes. Okay? It is the devil's tool to keep people away from God. Now, it's amazing what they call this city. Do you know what they called it? Babel, right? Now, do you know what that means? It literally means the gate to God. The gate to God. You see, El, E-L, is the Hebrew name for God. Elohim. That's, the God, that's God, the almighty God of creation. God, uh, Jacob worshipped the Lord where? At the city of Bethel. Now, do you know what Bethel means? They've got the E-L on the end of that, and it means the house of God. Jesus' name is called Emmanuel. Well, what is that? God with us. And whenever you see the word E-L attached to something, it speaks of God. For example, Israel. What does Israel mean? Why was Jacob's name changed to Israel? Well, it means prince with God. And all right, so here is Babel, Bab meaning gate, B-A-B meaning gate, it is the gate to God. And that's what they said it was. Now, it was just simply the devil's means to corrupt people and to keep people away from Jesus, who was the true gate to God. What, what does Jesus say about being the gate to God? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father, but by me, in John 14, 6. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the gate to God. Now, later on, this word, by a play on words, this word Babel came to mean confusion. And so it means, on the one hand, the gate to God, and on the other hand, it means confusion. Now, you put those two definitions together, and you have it exactly. It is confusion about the way to God. And that's what the devil is about today. See, the devil's not against religion. In fact, the devil is in favor of religion. The devil is in religion up to his ears. But the devil wants you to be confused by religion about the way to God. And you see the inception of it right here. And it is confusion about the gate to God. Confusion about the way to God. And it is based in demonic religion. It is based in apostasy. It is based in witchcraft. It is based in falsehood. It is based in astrology and all of these things which are confusion about the way to God. Now, I believe that all astrology, all false worship, 
and all apostasy that is organized had their beginning right here in this beginning of Babylon. Let me show you what God says about Babylon over in the book of Isaiah, chapter 47. And I want you to see that astrology and witchcraft had their beginning right here in Genesis, chapter 11. Isaiah 47, 1, and notice that it's really obvious that God is speaking uh, to Babylon. And it says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. So we're talking about Babylon here. Then go on uh, with me to verse 12, and here's the challenge that God said to those people that day. Isaiah 47, 12 through 15 says, Stand now with thine enchantments and with the multitude of thy sorceries, wherein thou hast labored from thy youth. I just underscore those words, from thy youth. Because it means from the very inception of this city of sin, from the very inception of Satan's civic masterpiece, they were using sorceries, they were using enchantments. Wherein thou hast labored from thy youth, if so be thou shalt be able to profit, and if uh, so be thou mayest prevail. Now what God's prophet Isaiah is doing is he is now mocking them and telling them that their enchantments and their sorceries are going to do them no good whatsoever. Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels, and let now the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators, let them stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. Now behold, they shall be as stubble, the fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There shall not be a coal to warm at, nor fire to sit before it. Thus they, that means just they're going to be burned totally to ash. There's not going to be anything left. Okay, So thus shall they be unto thee with whom thou hast labored, even thy merchants from thy youth. They shall wander every one to his quarter, and none shall save thee. So this is God's judgment upon Babylon. But I want you to notice the very fact here that God says that they were in the business of astrology from their youth or from their beginning. Now, what's wrong with astrology? Well, number one, it's idolatry. The stars are not put there for you to find your destiny by. The stars are not there to discover the destiny of man, but to give glory to God. Do you know what the word astrology means? Astro means stars. And the last part of that word, ology, comes from the Greek word logos, which means word. So what is astrology? Astrology is literally the word of the stars. Well, now, in this book we call the Bible, you've got the Word of God who hung the stars, right? And you see, when you're looking into the world of the stars rather than to the Word of the God, that is a rebellion against God. It is idolatry of the worst sort. And because of it, you will face the judgment of Almighty God. God calls it an abomination. Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12 says, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, 
or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. And for all that do these things, there are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God drive them out from before thee. So now, this tells us why God destroyed the entire Canaanite civilization. And do you remember that God said that the Canaanites were to be dispossessed of the land? This is when Israel was moving towards there. They were going to be dispossessed out of the land. And they were to be judged. What was it that God had against the Canaanites? It was the demon worship that began here at the Tower of Babel or the rise of Babylon. And notice what God calls an, an abomination. Look in verse 9. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. Now what does that mean? That means that in their wickedness they were murdering their little babies just like America is doing today. And he goes on to say, or that useth divination, that is, fortune teller, or an observer of times, that's an astrologer, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a council of mediums, or a wizard, or a necromancer, and that means someone who tries to contact the dead through a seance. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of this, thy God doth drive them out from before thee. You see, God says, if you dabble in this, in this business, you are an abomination to God. Now, I'm speaking to an average audience here today, both here and on the podcast. There's a lot of people listening in on the podcast as well. And that means that there are some of you who checked your horoscope this morning before you came in and reading the paper. Now, some of you even have belt buckles with the Zodiac on it. Some of you have earrings, and some of you have little pieces of jewelry with the Zodiac on them, and some of you say, well, there's nothing bad about that. It's just a belt buckle. It's just jewelry and so forth. Yet God says it is an abomination to God. Now, you ought to get rid of all that paraphernalia. You ought to just leave it alone. You ought to just stay away from it. And you say, well, I'm just curious. I don't really take it seriously. Well, is it okay for you to dabble in adultery? Is it okay for you to dabble in murder, too? I, I mean, you're just dabbling in adultery or murder, right? You don't really take it seriously. Listen, God says that it is wrong, period. And therefore, we are to leave it alone completely, just like we're to leave adultery alone, just like we're to leave murder alone. It had its beginning, it had its inception right here in the Tower of Babel. And the Bible says that these things happen from the very youth of this city, this city of sin, which is the devil's masterpiece. Now, all false religion, organized false religion, has come from what happened right here in Genesis chapter 11. God tells us this is true in the book of Revelation. Revelation 17, 3 through 7 says, So he carried me away, and the Spirit into the wilderness. This is John talking in, uh, in, the, in the book of Revelation. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, 
Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which has seven heads and ten horns. Now, I'm not going to go in and explain that whole section of verses. Right? I'll be here the rest of the, the day doing that. But this tells us that John saw a woman who was a beautiful woman, and she is decked in gold and silver and pearls, a scarlet dress, as she's riding on a beast. Now this beast has seven heads and ten horns. Well, now he must have been some beast. Now he is the Antichrist uh, that is represented in, in this, all right? But now she's a very beautiful woman, and she's riding this beast. It's sort of the beauty and the beast, right? And, and she looks very beautiful, but you better look at her very carefully because notice how God describes her in verse 5. It says, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now, do you know what harlotry is spiritually in the Bible? It is false religion. You see, Jesus Christ is our bridegroom, and we, the church, are the bride of Christ. And now, anytime we are not true to the Lord Jesus Christ, that is spiritual adultery. And all spiritual adultery, all false religion, all apostasy had its beginning in Babylon. And so here the Bible calls it mystery, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is that these people were unspeakably wicked. They had raised up here what they called the gate to God, but really it was the mouth of hell. The mouth of hell. And oh, today, you may be religious, you may be in the occult, or you may be just in some liberal Christ-denying religion, but if you have not come to God through Jesus Christ, then you have been caught up in this Babylonian system that has been created on this earth. And oh, there are many people who have been uh, so corrupted. They don't even realize it because they think that they are doing something good and wonderful. So now we've talked about their disobedience, and we've talked about uh, uh, their disobedience, which was rather than replenishing the world, uh, they tried to build a city-state. And we've talked about their depravity. Here uh, they are with all the false religions. And then next, I want you to notice their defiance. Go back to verses 3 and 4. They said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Notice that six times in these verses, which is the number of men, we hear them use the words like we and us. There is no mention of God here whatsoever. This is humanism. This is the kingdom of Antichrist. These people have left God out of their plans and they have made themselves the center, the circumference of their plans. It's as if they had said, O brothers which are upon the earth, hallowed be our name, our kingdom come, our will be done in earth as it is in heaven, for ours 
is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Ooh. So, and we have people today who are living that way in open defiance of God. Egomaniacs who are strutting to hell, thinking they are too good to be damned, and that this is the rise of Babylon. And what we see here in seed form in the book of Genesis, we're going to find in fruit form in the last days. You're going to find this coming kingdom of Antichrist, and it's going to be based in a one-world government, a world church, and it's going to be based in man's arrogance as man wants to humanize God and deify man. All right, now let's go on and see the final thing. And I want you to see not only the ruler of Babylon and the rise of Babylon, but I want you to see the ruin of Babylon. Verses 6 and 7 of chapter 11 of the book of Genesis says, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they began to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. Now, the first thing I want you to see is in this ruin of Babylon is actually the coming of the Savior. The coming of the Savior. The triune God said what? Let us go down. And man says, hey, we're going to build toward heaven. And God says, well, I'm coming down to earth. I'm going to come down to earth. Let us, the triune God, come down. And it is suggesting to me that time when the Antichrist is at the height of his arrogance, right when the Antichrist thinks that he has his kingdom built just right, he's ready to put that capstone on it all, and there will be a voice heard in heaven that as the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit said, let us go down, and Jesus is going to come. Listen, we're waiting for that time when God steps out of heavens and it ain't going to be long. I believe that the Antichrist is just about to put the final touches on his kingdom. I believe, as I've said already, that the Antichrist is alive and living today, but I believe that the church is going to be taken out first. And when the church is taken out at the rapture, then the Antichrist is going to feverishly begin to build his kingdom and put it all together. And at the close of a seven-year tribulation period, our great God is going to say, let us go down. And so the first step in the ruining of this kingdom of Babylon is what I call the coming of the Savior. And not only will there be a coming of the Savior, but there will be confusion of the speech. Notice, if you will, in verse 7, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. There was a confounding of the speech as well as a coming of the Lord. Now, why did the Lord step down and confound their speech? Actually, I think it was God's colossal joke on man. You know, have you ever read in Psalms chapter 2 where the Bible says the Lord shall have them in derision? Psalms 2, 4. You know, I enjoy the sense of humor of God. I really do. Now, here they are. They think they've all got it together. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, these were brilliant people. I, I mean, they really knew what they were doing. They'd already plotted out the heavens, the stars, and, and, and so forth. They'd already made out their zodiacs and everything. And God just says, well, I'm going to take one little ingredient out. 
They have never thanked me for their ability to communicate to each other. They're not using their speech to praise me with that speech, to love me with, and to worship me with that speech. So he confounded their speech. He gave them all different languages. Now here they are. They're already put that final brick on this tower, and one of them says to the other man, hand me a brick. And the man says, what did you say? And the first man says, well, what did you say? And, and then the other one says, what did you say? Well, what did you say? What's the matter with you? Are you trying to get smart with me? Yeah, don't you get smart with me now. And, and I mean the whole thing, just one little thing. God was showing them how foolish their unity was because there was really no unity at all. They had a false unity that was in their words and their work, but it was not a true unity. You see, the true unity is only in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one Lord, one God, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father over us all, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. It says, and here now, you know that the Bible says, the Lord shall have them in derision. Psalms 2, 4. When our Lord steps out of glory, he's going to turn the kingdom of Antichrist into confusion. So first there was a coming, then there was a confusion, and then there was a crumbling or the collapse of their system. Now the three things I've said, the coming of the Savior, the confusion of the speech, and the collapse of their system in Genesis 8 and 9, uh, or, uh, chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the, all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. That is, the whole thing collapsed. It was left to colossal ruin. It reminds us one more time of what the Bible says in Psalms 127.1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that which build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Now listen to me. It may look like the Antichrist is getting the upper hand. It may look like there's a gathering storm. You look at the headlines today and you think of the, the uh, terrible storm that's happening over in the Middle East. And, and it may look like the forces of evil are, are getting so powerfully entrenched as you see the World Council of Churches and you see the UN and you see the communist threat that is still out there as you see the power of the occult and the devil and demonism, and you see all of that together. But I want to tell you that the time is getting right for the Antichrist. It is. And it looks like the time is right. And, and, but I want to tell you, all who follow the way of Babylon are going to sit and weep among the fallen and crumpled ruins of this uh, city of sin. Now before I close this message, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 18, and I want you to see the final prophecy in this book concerning Babylon. Revelation 18, 1 through 4. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and of the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. 
and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundances of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Now, I believe this angel coming down is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is called the angel of Jehovah. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and a hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. And Babylon the great is this cage of demons. The demonic religion, it is destined to fall. It is destined to fall. Look in verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye may not be partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. So that's the reason that I told you to get rid of all that occult business. You just get rid of that Ouija board. Boy, I hope none of you guys have one of those in your house. Uh, you just get rid of all that horoscope and all that junk. Just get it out. And God said, just come out of her, my people. Do not partake in her sins. You are going to partake in, of her plagues if you do. Now Babylon is destined to fall. Just as this ancient tower crumpled so long ago, we find that the final full-blown city is coming down. It is crashing down. And I want to tell you something. You may not have ever realized this, but the first time the word Alleluia is used in all the New Testament is after Babylon falls. You won't find it. Uh, you won't find the word Alleluia used any other time. But it is after Babylon falls that the Alleluia chorus begins. Revelations nineteen one through uh, three says. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he had judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And then verse 6 says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now listen, if you think we've got reason to say hallelujah today, you just ain't seen nothing yet. You wait and see what's going to happen. The kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And this tower of blunders that the devil has built is coming crashing down. Babylon is going to fall. And we've seen in our scripture today where the God tells us of the rise and fall of Babylon. There's Christ, then there's Antichrist. There's the city of God and the city of sin. My message today is you better choose sides very carefully. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, right? Yeah. 